Today's listed text comes from the Gospel according to Mark, the 11th chapter, verses 1 through 11. We've been going through the Gospel of Mark all the way from the beginning. And today we come to the narrative that we normally use for Palm Sunday a little out of order. Hear the word of the Lord according to the Gospel of Mark. When they were approaching Jerusalem, Jesus and the disciples, at Bethphage in Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Just say this. The Lord needs it, and will set it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. And as they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, What are you doing, untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat upon it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Eternal God, whose word silences the shouts of the mighty, Quiet within us every voice but your own. Speak to us through the suffering and death of Jesus Christ by that power of your Holy Spirit. May we receive your grace to show Christ's love in lives given to your service. Amen. So one of the benefits of looking at a text that we use every single year on the date that isn't the one we normally use it is it knocks us out of our lazy Protestant patterns. Palm Sunday actually has two different options on it that you can do. There's Palm Sunday, but there's also Passion Sunday, depending on the year and how you are reading the gospel, you pick one or the other. If you do Passion Sunday, that tends to mean your church doesn't do Good Friday, and so on the Sunday before Easter, you preach the cross. Makes sense. Before Easter, you need to tell the story of what happened before. Palm Sunday is the one that you use if you have Monday, Thursday, or Good Friday, where we celebrate Christ coming into... Jerusalem. Now that has an effect on how many of us understand the passage of Palm Sunday. We understand the story somewhat related to how the church acts it out. You go to a great many churches, they'll have palms in the pews, they give the children palms, they make little crosses. It seems to be a really big event. And that kind of throws us into one of the problems that Martin Luther, Calvin, and a whole bunch of other guys pointed out images have, including movies and things like that, is they are an interpretation of events. And unfortunately for many of us, to get to Mark's view of the gospel, we have to be a little iconoclastic. The way we typically focus and picture Palm Sunday is not what Mark is necessarily describing here. In fact, even the idea of a holy week where Jesus comes in on Palm Sunday and is crucified on Good Friday 
may not be what Mark intends. Many of the commentators pointed out that Jesus' ministry in Jerusalem may have been a season. Because from here in the Gospel of Mark, up until this point, Jesus has been doing his ministry in Galilee. It's been focusing around all that. And for chapter 10, Jesus has moved towards Jerusalem. Last week, we looked at the story of Jesus on the outskirts of Jerusalem, when Bartimaeus, the blind beggar, came and was healed. And we talked about how that brought up images of David. Well, this story, this chapter opens up with when they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany. Jericho last week was the shady outskirts of Jerusalem, the neighborhood that you locked your doors when you drove through. Today, they are in the proper bounds of the city limits of Jerusalem. He, he, he's, he's shown up. But you'll notice Mark does not spend a great amount of time on Palm Sunday here. Almost the entirety of this little section is about untying the cult. And that tells us where Mark is really focusing the messianic understanding of this. He's going back to Genesis 49. Verse 8, when the oracle of Judah is given. Judah, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He crouches down, he stretches out like a lion. Like a lioness, who dares rouse Judah up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And the obedience of the people is his. And here's the important one. Behind his fold to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice of vine. He washes his garments in wine and his robe in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Oh man, this translation didn't do that one well. In the 11th verse, it's untying his foal from the vine and his donkey's colt from the choice vine. This act of untying goes back and brings up a prophecy from the very beginnings in the book of Genesis about Judah. Not necessarily Davidic, but it is noted that David comes from the tribe of Judah. And that's why there's so much focus here in Mark 11 about untying Jesus sends the two disciples. You'll find there a cult that's never been written. Untie it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, the Greek is, why are you untying it? Untie, untie, untie. Even in the English translation for they went away. And as they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, why are you untying the cult? Palm Sunday in the Gospel of Mark is untying Sunday. That just is a lot less dramatic when you're trying to make a church liturgical calendar and make a special Sunday before Easter. If we all had a whole bunch of harnesses that we just tied up to the pews and then untied, that wouldn't be as impressive as waving palm trees around. That donkey 
symbolism is used in the Gospel of John from Zechariah to behold my son comes and the Gospel of John focuses on the procession. But the Gospel of Mark here focuses on that little donkey. And what's important to notice, note about the cult and why it has to be the young donkey is it's symbolic in multiple ways. The first one comes from those books that you always hope the pastor's not going to preach on. Numbers, Deuteronomy, and the sacred law. Where it states that for sacred use, the only animal that should be used to bear the burden is one that has never been used for any sort of profane task, that which is holy is set aside. So using the cult to bring Jesus in sets it aside for the holy work. That makes this day something different. And this untying, releasing the holies, where Mark focuses most of his energy. But we do finally get to Palm Sunday all the way at verse 7. Like I said, we untie a whole bunch of stuff. And we finally get to it, and there they bring the cult to Jesus. They throw their cloaks on it. Jesus sits on it, and the people spread their cloaks on the road, and they spread their leafy branches they've cut in the fields. This, if you are a real Bible nerd like myself, recalls a scene from the Apocrypha in 1 Maccabees chapter 13, that's the book where they get Hanukkah from. It recalls the entrance of Simon, of the Hasmonean brothers, entrance to Jerusalem. <coughs> yes, it has the, the verses that John uses behind it as well, but it must be pointed out, Mark's main use for this, by focusing so much on the untying, is to make Palm Sunday a lot less of a deal than we make it. If you get anything from me, that's where Mark is going with this. Nothing that is occurring on this day is in and of itself special. If you've ever watched any of those annoying Discovery Channel documentaries that come out every Easter, that have to be about Jesus and everything else, they always go on about how the Romans are, are worried about some sort of revolt and how Pilate is really stressed and that comes through in all those different movies. Well, you have to realize on Palm Sunday, there is no mention of anything that gets the Romans particularly upset. There's nothing here that gets the temple authorities, which are going to crucify Jesus, particularly mad at him. And that's because it's known to us through archaeology and other studies that the cutting the branches, that was part of the pilgrimage. What happens is Christ comes through Bethphage and Bethany, through the Mount of Olives, and he's set up to have this cult bring him in. And as that happens, as a spontaneous act of praise among the disciples and the other pilgrims that are going to Jerusalem, Palm Sunday just sort of happens. In a spontaneous act of praise, it still satisfies John. If you were silent, these rocks would cry out. But it's just the regular disciples going to Jerusalem on a regular day. And it's the crowd that happens to be there that spreads out the cloaks. Because we even get to verse 11. Then he entered Jerusalem, went into the temple. And as it was already late, he went to Bethany with the twelve. Palm Sunday is of short, such short duration that once they get into Jerusalem, it's just Jesus and the core disciples again. 
Taking this out of the need to have a Palm Sunday service allows us to look at this as what Mark intends. Mark has been spending this whole gospel on the question, who is the Messiah? Who is the Son of God? And this is just like the rest of Mark's gospel, a hidden Messiah, a hidden Son of God. They know Jesus is, as Bartimaeus said last week, a rabbi, a special teacher. They know he is a healer, and they know the word of God is specially with him. And as he is coming down to Jerusalem, we'll go ahead and go with the one-week timeline, he joins the rest of the pilgrims that are coming in for Passover. There's already a crowd that's built there. They're already cutting the branches anyways. And it's in that situation as the honored teacher that they break out into praise, spreading their cloaks on the road to honor Christ. It's not necessarily in their minds messianic when they say, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. That's Psalm 118. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. They're not exactly saying, as Bartimaeus did last week, that Jesus is the son of David, but they're saying that there's a hope for that. Christ is here mixed in with the pilgrims and the rest of the people. Marked out a little bit, but it's unknown to those that are throwing Palm Sunday for Christ in Matthew. The weight of it. We as those who are reading the gospel, who are on the other side of Easter, get the deeper meaning behind it. Bartimaeus has just said, heal me, O son of David, and Christ is healing him and acknowledges that identity. We know who Christ is behind the veil, the very son of God marching into his town on a cult, as you've probably heard in other Easter sermons, like a conqueror. But for the people that are that are actually there waving the palms and saying, blessed is the Lord and the one who comes in the name of the Lord, they don't understand what's going on. In Mark, the in Mark, Christ is veiled from the people so much that you don't even get the traditional understanding of the people liked Jesus on Palm Sunday and by Easter they hate him. In Mark, they never understand who Christ is from the first point. And it ends here, Palm Sunday, on a setup for what's going to come in the rest of the chapter, where he enters Jerusalem and goes around the temple looking at everything. That inspection comes from the book of Malachi. Third chapter, verse 1. See, I'm sending my messenger to prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. There in Malachi, God comes and inspects what is his. So where the message ends today, where Palm Sunday culminates, is on the Lord coming as the Lord, unrecognized by his people, very much like the opening of the Gospel of John. They honor him without knowing they honor him in Christ going to the temple and looking around, sees what's going to cause what we're going to get into, the cleansing of the temple. The whole point behind Palm Sunday is ultimately that. Christ comes and he finds the people unable to recognize who he is. 
He finds a temple that is given over to carnality. And he finds those who should be treasuring and, and educating the people of God to be derelict in that duty, much like the book of Ezekiel, where the guy's going around writing names like the Johnny Cash song. The application of this is many. First, it throws a little bit of shade on that wonderful thing we like to tell ourselves, that Christ was there and we didn't recognize him. In Mark's gospel, that is not a good thing. It was right and proper that Christ was honored coming to his own city with the palms and Palm Sunday. And imagine us knowing who Christ is if Christ was coming to town. We'd be throwing out the ticker tape. Here it just happens, and, and it's almost by accidental circumstance that Christ is given any honor in this situation. And then he comes to the temple without anyone knowing and does a secret inspection. The application of this that I think is probably the best about it is in our lives, when it comes to the Lord, he is a bit of a secret shopper. That sticks with a lot of things Christ taught. How many have accidentally entertained angels without even knowing it. This also means that the Lord's judgment, that final messianic coming to Jerusalem and deciding whether the people were worthy or not, happened on Palm Sunday. It happened on a regular run-of-the-mill Sunday when none of the people that could see it or understand what was going on were involved with it. The judgment that Christ gives on the temple that will culminate in being destroyed a couple of years later happened on that day. Each and every one of us every single day is always faced with that decision for good and evil. And as I spoke last week, there's always a, a, a temptation to put that off. But it is, we speak about how the Lord and His providence behind us, when we look with hindsight, has been active in working for our good. And that's His personality. But the warning of Palm Sunday and the application of it is, is just as much. There are those who, they look back in their lives and they see that it is in that hidden moment when the good that they should have done was not done. When those causes they should have stood up for were not stood up with, those friends with whom they did not show solidarity when they should have, that family they should have supported, that little bit of sacrificial Christian love that we all don't want to give when that was not given, was indeed a dreadful moment of judgment. Brothers and sisters, as Christians, let us never entertain Christ on accident. Let us never proclaim Him Lord in a murky and unknown sense as they did on Palm Sunday. We must always search our hearts that when it comes to our worship, to our prayer lives, and things like that, are we doing it from ignorance, from some sense that Christ is the great teacher, or, or that there's something here, or are we doing it from knowledge of Christ, you are the Son of God, as Peter confesses. Can't preach the end of this gospel yet, we're still in chapter 11, but we are totally working and getting there. Next week, we are going to tackle the 
one of the most difficult passages in it of the cursing of the fig tree, but we will also be looking at the cleansing of the temple. And the promise there that buttons in with this hidden Christ coming, that my house shall be a house of prayer for all the nations. Because just as they could not recognize Christ when he came in as the Messiah, as the son of David, to Israel, one of the things they could not recognize also was that Christ was coming as the Messiah, the Savior, and the hope for the rest of the world. Let us pray. 